you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We will be in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, again, we give you thanks because you are the omnipotent, the all-powerful one. You're the one in whom we live and move and have our being. We thank you for the beautiful promise that your word does not return void. And so even now we pray that you would fulfill that in our midst. That you would use these words to change our hearts and our lives. Help us to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. To stand in awe of it. And to magnify him even in these next moments. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So the Christmas season, if you are like me, is normally one that is extremely busy, filled with activities where you're running from one thing to the, no- to the other, always asking, all right, what is next? We've done that. It's time to move on. Where do we have to be next? What do we have to do? What do I need to buy? Who do I need to talk to? It's just one thing after another. And so I don't know if if you've been praying this, but one of my prayers over the past couple of years has been, Lord, really help me to focus. Can we cut through some of the noise and the distractions and allow me again to focus on the beauty of the season? And the Lord, in some unique ways, answered those prayers as he often does. Last year, as you well know, he answered that in a, in a way none of us saw coming, where most of those distractions were cut out. We didn't have that opportunity to gather as we normally would have. And even this year, for many of us, some things were have, were, we had to take off the table. And there were folks that we wanted to see more, and we didn't have that opportunity. Well, the Lord answered that prayer for me, particularly in a very unique way, which has led me to stand before you here this morning, a way that I did not see coming. But, but in providing this opportunity, it, it gave me the chance to really be focused on His Word. When, when, you're, in, when, you're, um, when you're lined up to preach the day after Christmas, it really changes the, the focus that you have throughout the Christmas season. And what's been interesting for me particularly is how I've seen the, the idea of Christ's three offices 
come into a particular focus for me during especially the month of December. A lot of that's due to the fact that um, I'm working, helping with the youth, teaching Sunday school there, and we're working through the book of Hebrews. And so some of that is, is the reason that we're looking at this today. But also, if you'll think back, the, the Advent series that we have just concluded the past four Sundays, we were focused on some of the lines from Joy to the World, which of course comes from Psalm 98, as we heard last Sunday, where there's a particular focus on the kingship of Christ, how he fulfills the promises that are being made there as our king. And so we see that, that role that he fulfills, that office. Back at the beginning of Hebrews, if you'll turn real quickly, probably just one page back, the very beginning of Hebrews starts off and actually mentions these three offices of, as well, of prophet, priest, and king, where he says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. And so here we see that Christ is being held up as the final and full agent of revelation through whom God himself is speaking. We see his role of prophet there. And it goes on to say, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so we see in these verses a, a, a reference to his kingship, another office that he holds, that he was, is the creator, the divine creator who rightfully sits on his throne. And then he goes on and says in the middle of verse 3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so there's a reference not only to the sitting down, another reference to kingship, but the reference there to after making purification for our sins. And so there we see this office of Christ as our high priest. And so that's really what's going to be our focus for today, as you heard read from Hebrews chapter 4. And what's interesting about that, the, the way Hebrews carries on as, as the author unfolds the rest of this message, he gives really, really an unbalanced focus on the, king, the priestly role of Christ. Starting here in chapter 4 and going all the way through chapter 10, he's really focusing in on what it means that Christ serves as our high priest. Now there's one thing that, that we're a little bit disadvantaged because of, and that is our lack of knowledge of the high priest's role. We don't understand as we should what this role even entails. Another, another aspect that I, I try, you know, we have this reading plan that's, that's going to be starting again for the new year. And many of us try to read through scripture every year. And if you're like me, the way that usually unfolds is we're gung-ho working through Genesis. We're familiar with that. This sounds good. The Lord's in control. He's doing his work. We get into Exodus. He's forming his people. He's bringing them out of Egypt. 
He's building a nation for himself. And then we get to the latter parts of Exodus where they start talking about the temple or the tabernacle furnishings, the construction of it into Leviticus and the, the laws that are laid out for the priests and Levites. And we're wondering, what in the world's going on now? This, how is this even applicable to me? And we're tempted to give up our reading at that point. Well, what the author of Hebrews would tell us is, no, this is extremely applicable. This is important because if you don't understand what the Lord was doing in those days and the role of the high priest, then we really miss the beauty of what it means to call Christ our high priest. And so just by way of reminder, we actually can lean on, again, the author of Hebrews to help us out here. In chapter 5, verse 1, he says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. And so we see here this the teaching here is that the role of the priest, as it says, is to, to act on behalf of men in relation to God. It's a, a mediatorial type of role, representative role, that they are to stand and represent the people before God himself. And they do that, it says, by offering gifts and sacrifices for sins. We're told also here that this role of high priest is one to which they are appointed. They are chosen for the task. Jumping down to verse 4 of chapter 5, it says, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. A reference to Aaron as the first high priest. And so, what, what the author is doing for us is really what he's been doing throughout the first several chapters of Hebrews, which is highlighting the fact that Christ not only serves as high priest, but does so in a superior way to all the other high priests that have ever come before. He did this with the role of king. He did this with the role of prophet, showing how Christ himself was superior to Moses, to the angels, to these other agents of revelation. Christ is superior, and he does the same with the role of the high priest. And so the first thing that we're going to see is that in this, these verses, beginning at verse 14, is an encouragement to us. An encouragement based on the fact that we have a great high priest. We are also told over in chapter 9, verse 2, talking about the original tabernacle. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It's called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. So they're describing for us what we may be unfamiliar with, the setup of the tabernacle. With a holy place first and then a most holy place second behind the tent. Chapter 9, verse 6 goes on. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second section, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself 
and for the unintentional sins of the people. So we get a picture here of what the role of the high priest was intended to do. To enter regularly and to make these offerings of incense. To stand in, before the Lord in behalf of the people and to make offerings. And once a year to enter into the second section. We need this picture on our minds in order to understand what the author unfolds for us in verses 14 and following. And so the encouragement that we have a great high priest, he says, since then, verse 14, we have a great high priest who has passed through, and if we understand the Old Testament language, our minds go to the place of this curtain that we just read about. That he passed through, we're expecting he passed through the first holy place and enters into the second most holy place behind the curtain. But that's not what he says. What he says is we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens. And that's significant because Jesus didn't just enter an earthly tabernacle. But entered the presence of God himself to stand before him and make actual Atonement. Make actual satisfaction for our sins. This idea of high priest we already mentioned was, was brought up at the very beginning of Hebrews. He also brought it up in chapter 2, verse 17, which says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of of the people. Propitiation, a word that we're, we don't use that word a whole lot. It simply means a sacrifice to satisfy the divine justice, the divine wrath. This was the sacrifice that the high priest's role was intended to fulfill. They were symbolically doing this, but what we're told is Christ enters heaven itself to make actual atonement for our sins. So he passed through, not the curtain, but the heavens. He's called Jesus, the Son of God, and that's intentional because it brings our focus both to his human nature in referring to him as Jesus, the name you remember is given to him because he will save his people from their sins, but also called the Son of God, pointing to his divine nature, that both of these were necessary and beautifully joined together in him. And I, I will apologize ahead of time. We're going to lean a lot on Hebrews, various passages, to help clarify some of these things for us. So don't, don't get distracted by the jumping around. But over in chapter 6 also, he refers and clarifies this for us in verse 19 and 20. Where he says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Again, symbolically talking about the role that the priest does, serves in entering the, holy, the most holy place. And then in chapter 9, verse 24, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God 
on our behalf. And so you see why he refers to him as our great high priest. Because he is far superior to the earthly high priest who could not make actual atonement for sins. This is clarified further in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 11 and 12. It says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. You see, Christ has actually done it. He has actually fulfilled what it was that the high priests of old were simply symbolizing, pointing to. He has actually done it. And so we can be encouraged because we have Christ as our great high priest. And this is why the author, the author starts with a since then. He gives us a condition and says, because you have Christ as your great high priest, then what? Then we can find our exhortation that follows on the heels of it. And our exhortation is, let us hold fast our confession. Let us hold fast our confession. Well, the obvious question that we need to ask is, what is our confession? Now, we have a time of confession every Sunday here. Today, we use the Nicene Creed, and we worked through that. These creeds that, that highlight for us the foundation of our faith, things that we need to know. As, as was said earlier, we need to know this because this is what gives us hope. So we need to understand what our confession is. One of the things that, to go back to it again, the very beginning of Hebrews that we just saw, look, look at what's laid out for us as the foundation of our faith. As the author here begins this letter to the Hebrews... He is highlighting the fact that Jesus is the full and final revelation of God. That he is the creator and the heir of all things. That he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That is, that he is divine. He is God himself who came in the flesh. Exactly what we celebrate at Christmas time, that God fulfills his promises and we see it in the person of Christ. That he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And of course, that's reminding us of John 1, that Christ himself is the word made flesh. Again, pointing to his role as prophet. That he made purification for our sins by his own blood. And as we read earlier, not the blood of goats, not the blood of calves, but by his own blood. And that even now, currently, he is enthroned in heaven and that he is ruling as the king of kings. That is encouragement. That is hope. And so we need to hold fast our confession 
And I don't need to tell you this, but in this world, you will face all types of opportunity to let go your confession. He's going to go on to talk about temptations that we face. And it's important that we understand that in this context, the temptation he's referring to is the temptation to not hold fast. You get that? It is a temptation to not hold fast your confession. And so in order to hold fast to it, we need to understand our confession, but we also need to understand why it is that we can hold fast to it. Over in chapter 10 of Hebrews, beginning at verse 19, he further clarifies this for us. Where he says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And so he clarifies the fact that part of our confession is the actual atonement of having our hearts sprinkled clean. Being cleansed from an evil conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That we actually can be cleansed of our sin because of the atonement of Christ. That it's a real accomplishment that he makes. Which is why he said on the cross, it is finished. Because there was no more need for the ritual performances of the priest daily entering to go through the symbolism of the sacrifices. But to understand that Christ as our high priest made actual atonement for sins. That we can be cleansed through his blood. And so therefore, verse 23 of chapter 10 reminds us again, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. If you are in Christ, this is your confession of hope. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Only in Christ do you find atonement for your sins. Not in any other earthly priest or earthly pastor or minister. Only in Christ Himself. And so the question is, Are you in Christ? Do you belong to Him? Do you trust that His atoning work alone makes satisfaction for your sin? That it was for you? Do you believe that as your high priest, He has done everything necessary to forgive your sins and to restore you to God? Do you believe that? It's a serious question that we all must wrestle with. Because the encouragement that we find in these verses for us today only applies to us if we are in Christ. If you are not in Christ, there's no confession for you to hold on to. And therefore, 
there's no hope. The hope is in the confession that Jesus Christ alone makes satisfaction for sin. So that's our first exhortation. He goes on then to give some further explanation in what it means to have Christ as our high priest. And you see the temptation for us, at least for me, the, the, the temptation is to think and ask the question, well, does Christ really even understand what I'm dealing with? Does he even understand the circumstances that I'm in? The broken relationships, the job loss, the fact that I can't see the family I want to see because of virus or whatever it is, wayward children, we could go on and on, things that that weigh on us daily, does he actually understand that? Because you see, Christ was perfect. So surely he doesn't understand where I am today. Well, the author here would say, oh, no, 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 no. Verse 15, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Dare we actually ask the question whether Jesus understands or not broken relationships? Having your own people turn against you. Having those you came to save reject you and falsely accuse you and even lead you to death. Of course he understands. We know that he understands. We know that he cares, again, because of Christmas, because he came. He came to show you that he cares, to be among us, to take on human flesh and walk among us so that he might identify with us and therefore serve as a great high priest who is compassionate and able to sympathize with us. And we have some wonderful counselors in this church. And many of you will think I'm biased, and I probably am. (laughs) But we have some remarkable counselors. And we have some remarkable pastors, men who have dedicated their lives for the kingdom work. But none of them, none of them would admit or would acknowledge or, or claim that they can actually fix your problems. They can't do it. They are not the ones that bring hope. They are not the ones that restore and bring healing. Only Jesus, only Jesus can do that. Which is why we heard earlier, which is why he's called the Wonderful Counselor. It's a part of his priestly role to identify with his people. And so he comes alongside, he sympathizes, he, he literally suffers with us. He has compassion for us. He understands, 
He loves. But it's not just that he comes alongside and suffers along with us. But he does so in a matter that actually brings healing. And that's what sets him apart. That's why he's so much greater than every earthly counselor or pastor or priest that we could go to because he actually accomplishes the healing. And why? Why is he able to do this? Again, chapter 2. We read verse 17 that he had to be made like his brothers so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest to make propitiation for the sins of his people. And then verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. And so again, the reminder here that in this context, the temptation is to not hold fast your confession. He is able to help you overcome your temptation and to hold fast your confession because he endured exactly that. He himself faced the temptation to not hold fast to the Father's plan. And he stood up under it. And so we move from this explanation on to a glorious expectation. We're told in verse 16, and this is basically a therefore, because of everything we have just said. Verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us then with confidence... You see, here again is a point that differs greatly from the role of the earthly high priest. Do you remember, do you remember the, the attitude with which most of the priests carried out their duties, as we're told in Scripture? Fear and trembling. Why? Because they knew that if they didn't do this exactly the way the Lord described they faced the real possibility of death. Aaron, the first high priest, saw this himself in two of his sons who were struck dead for offering improper sacrifices. And so the, the idea of approaching God throughout the history of Israel was one of stay away. We, we don't want to approach God. We'll let the priests approach him. We'll let him represent us because if we draw near, we'll be struck dead. Why? Because they were unworthy. They were unclean. Now you and I know that is, that is as true for us as it was for, for them because of our own sin. We are unworthy to come into the presence of the Lord. Until that is we have a great high priest who covers us and makes actual atonement, as we've talked about. When Jesus satisfied the divine wrath of God, he actually allows this, verse 16, 
to be true for those who are in him. That we actually can approach now with confidence. I know you are as sick of social distancing as I am. That doesn't apply to us before the presence of God because of Christ. Who says we can approach God with confidence. We can approach his throne with confidence. Because he himself has made atonement for sin. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so we can draw near. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy. And find grace. Receive mercy and find grace. Those are our greatest needs. We need mercy because of our sinfulness. We find it in Christ as our great high priest. We need grace. And it's given to us through Christ alone. So brothers and sisters, this is a tremendously encouraging Christmas message for all of us. That we no longer are going simply through the symbolism and the rituals of coming into a place of worship and looking at things that only represent satisfaction of sin. But we actually draw near to the very throne of grace because in Christ Jesus there is actual atonement that we actually find grace, real grace, and receive the mercy that we desperately need. And so your application, our application, really has already been given to us. It's both the second half of verse 14 and it's verse 16. Because you have Christ as your high priest, the one who made atonement for sins by his own blood, hold fast your confession. Hold fast your confession. And you can do this because he who promised is faithful. Hold fast your confession and draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, at this point, there's really not much else we can say but thank you. You have done for us that which no earthly priest could do for us. You have done that which we cannot do for ourselves. You have made actual atonement through your life, death, and resurrection. So, Father, my prayer this morning is that for those who find, their self, find themselves outside of the scope of this lesson, who are not covered by the blood of Christ, would you move in their hearts to draw them to yourself? Show them 
that everything necessary for salvation has been done. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, encourage and renew our faith. Help us to hold fast our confession and to boldly approach your throne of grace, knowing that you as our loving Heavenly Father welcome us because of our great High Priest. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have done this. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.